everybody and welcome back to what's in your book bag i'm emily and today um things are gonna go a little different than they usually are usually i talk about the books and stuff like that but today i actually have the pleasure of being able to interview hannah Kappen, the author of the dead queen's club and foul is fair so i'm super excited for that and i have a bunch of questions to ask her about her books and the writing process so without further ado let's get on with it Okay, so I said without further ado, and I do touch this at the end of the podcast too, was this is the first time I've done an interview on a podcast, so like bear with me through the first couple of minutes and like just turn your volume up a little bit if you need to, because then I do figure out the sound a little better. I think it's pretty clear, uh, but then it does get a lot better. So yeah, enjoy. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? hanging in there in this in this quarantine world where where are you i'm in new hampshire okay yeah okay, so same time zone mm-hmm. all right yeah my high Great. school and does this have, thing called home for like is this like two weeks off of school so far or um what? i'm going on week three right now uh, except the governor extended school closings until may 4th so wow yeah nice. it'll be a while <laughs> yeah Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So my school does this thing called like a senior project when you're seniors every year. So it's this like 25 hour project that I have to do. So for my project, I've been doing a podcast where I've been talking about books and stuff like that. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. We had senior projects at my high school also. It sounds like it was a pretty similar gig, but yeah. Cool. Excellent. So anything in particular, like, do you have, like, um, so is this video for the podcast specifically, or is this just related to it, or how is that all at all? Yeah, so I was going to put this, like, directly into the podcast as, like, part of the project, so. Great. Yeah. So I have a whole bunch of questions to ask you. Cool. All right. I'm ready to get started whenever you are. All right, cool. So uh, your books are unlike anything I've ever read before. I feel like they're really different and really unique. Where do you draw your inspiration from? Oh my gosh. I, you know, that's such a good question. And I feel like for me, kind of every project is different. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's like the Dead Queens Club or Fowler's Fair, which are of course the ones that you've read or ones that I'm currently working on now, or even just going way back to stuff, stuff that I used to write when I was like, you know, way back when I was a kid. Um, for for dead queens honestly the inspiration came from this like joking text conversation my best friend and i were having like a few years ago and we were like just just bored and passing the time and like one of us said something like oh wouldn't it be funny if there were like you know like a youtube mini series that were like henry the eighth's wives but it was like in high school today and like mm-hmm. blah 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 and we just like i just kept kind of like riffing on that and you know, so then I, like, I just couldn't get the idea out of my head, and then I just start. I just started writing it, and I kind of wrote it, the whole thing, really fast, and I didn't know, like, I hadn't told my agent about it before I wrote it. We were on submission, like, so we had another manuscript that was, like, out sending to editors to see if they wanted to buy it. Um, so I hadn't told her anything about it. I wrote the whole thing in just a couple of months and I was like she's either gonna think this is really funny and great or she's gonna be like Hannah what is this nonsense but (laughs) she really liked it so that was where that one came from um but I mean like in general just like just little tiny snippets of things become ideas for me and then I just kind of like build out from there so it can be practically anything cool um on average how long would you say it took you to write your books that's a great question too um I I feel like I can't really give that much of a straight answer because like writing a book is so much more than just like creating that first draft, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I mean, I feel like, and obviously I'm sure you know this, but like you see this ridiculous version of it in like movies and stuff where like somebody gets this book deal and they're like, Oh, my book is going to be published in a month and I haven't written it yet. And like, blah, blah, blah. And like, that's, you know, obviously that's not what reality is like at all. Um, but so for me, like, the first draft of a manuscript, like I, I'm not a heavy like outliner or planner. So I tend to like write the first draft and that's how I sort of figure the story out. And the first draft itself doesn't take me too long. It's something like maybe six weeks or something that sometimes is broken up. Like with dead Queens, for example, 
I had this idea and I loved it. And I wrote like the first, you know, 20 or 30,000 words really fast. And then I was like, if I'm really going to do this, I need to dig in and research more because I knew like a pretty decent amount about the tutors, but I really just wanted to get everything right. And so I kind of paused and like took a couple months where I was reading a ton and just digging into research and then finished writing it. So like, the draft itself took probably six weeks, but from when I started, I started it in like April and then finished it in like August. Um, and like, same thing with Fowl's Fair. Like I started writing it, um, and then had to take a few months off of writing because I had a lot of travel and like other things going on and then came back and finished it. Um, but then after that too, there's like, you know, I usually do like three drafts before I send something to my agent. So that first draft where I get everything on the page, the second draft, which is mainly me just like taking a machete and like hacking away because my first drafts were super long. Um, so I'll cut a ton of words. And then the third draft is kind of polishing things, making things fit together. Then I send it to my agent. Then we will usually do another round of revisions. Then we send it to an editor. Then we, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's such a, it's such an engaged process that like, you know, that, that it's kind of hard to pin down, but that's, that's kind of a a look into how it tends to look for me. So you mentioned research and I actually have a question about research too. Was there a lot of research that went into creating the personalities of all of the dead Queens or was it mostly you? Oh my gosh, there was so much research. And thank you for asking that because like, I feel like there are a lot of people since like the Tudors are such a popular like era of history. I think especially, you know, like there's so much pop culture about them. I mean, like the movie, the musical six is out now and getting yeah. some traction and like, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then like there was the, the show, the Tudors like 10 years ago and the other Boleyn girl movie. I mean, they're just, there's like always something in mm-hmm. pop culture about the Tudors because they're just so ridiculous and dramatic and over the top that we just, I mean, we love drama. And yeah. so we just, you know, they basically have been in the popular eye ever since that actual era. And it's like never really waned. Um, so like, I feel like a lot of people feel like they kind of know the era and know the personalities, but they, they know the ones that they've sort of seen in shorthand. And Mm -hmm. you see that honestly, like was a really big part of why I wanted to write dead Queens is because we have gotten so used to seeing them kind of put in these specific roles. And it's like, oh, you know, like Anne Boleyn is turned into like this temptress. And also sometimes now she's turned into this like feminist icon, even though like that's such a like mislabel, like she was amazing, but like she was not a feminist and like her action, like in, in a lot of ways, she was a lot more of a pawn than she's currently presented as because we like the idea of her being this like feminist badass. Um, and Catherine of Aragon sort of like conversely is always since like Tudor fiction tends to sort of start right around the time of the great matter. Um, we tend to always see her as like, Oh, she was like old and boring and religious. And like, no, she really wasn't. She was very close to Henry's age. They were like five years apart in age. And like, yes, she was religious, but like there was like, like she was queen for 25 years and like super, super badass. Like, and like won a battle in her own right. Like all of this stuff that was just like people that have this sort of superficial knowledge of the era, like don't, they're like, oh yeah, you know, like Catherine Howard was like the dumb guilty one or like, you know, whatever, like people just have, or they'll be like, oh, like Anne of Cleves, right? She like totally catfished Henry VIII and she was actually really ugly. And it's like, no, that was a Henry VIII propaganda lie and everyone else agreed that she looked like your portrait. So for me, like, doing the research and really trying to turn these characters into like who they were, but then also have a lot of fun turning them into 21st century people was like, that was kind of really important to me. And so like I spent, and I like, there were certain details that I was like so pumped about. And then I was like, no one is going to like appreciate this little detail, but I just had so much fun with it. And I like, when I like decided that like Catherine of Aragon was going to go to Notre Dame for college, I was like, that is the most brilliant thing anyone's ever figured (laughs) out. Cause I was like, it's like, she just is such a perfect fit for that school. Like not only because it's Catholic, but like, because like the school itself is like high achieving, but also really like jock esque. And like, that would totally be her personality. And I was just, I was, so I was like very pleased with like things like that. And then I don't want to spoil anything for, you know, if anyone's listening who hasn't read it, but 
certain things with like Jane Seymour, um, Mm -hmm. like were other things that I also felt like were in character. So a lot of research, but then also a lot of fun, which basically just summarizes in a few words, the writing process of Dead Queens. So, um, let's see, what else do I have? Oh, so how did you decide on having it as a high school dynamic sort of setting? Um, I mean, mainly that's what I write. Like, I've always loved YA fiction. I was writing YA, like, when I was younger than a teenager, and then, like, when I, and reading it also, and then when I was a teenager, and then kind of just continued really liking it. And, like, I just, so, to me, part of it is just that's how I tend to frame stories. But also, I think, I mean, it's so, it's so, it fits so perfectly with high school dynamics, because sort of the the closed nature of the court where it's like, everybody's kind of, cause that's to me was like such a big part of high school is like the reason there's so much drama is because you're in everybody's face all the time. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot get away from like, and I went to a pretty big high school um, with like 2000, 2500, something like that kids. Oh, wow. But like you still, yeah. Um, but you still feel like you see the same people all the time. Cause it's like, oh, like, you know, if, if you take like AP classes, like mm. everybody's in all the AP classes and like, you just, you just are constantly seeing the same people. And it's so normal to be like, oh, I'm dating this guy, but like he used to date my best friend. And like, then like he was, you know, like there's all this like incestuousness of relationships and dramas. And like, to me, there just was nothing that felt more like the right setting for a drama about Henry VIII than a high school. So... What about Foul is Fair? What made you pick a high school for that one? The sort of same reasoning? Yeah, same reasoning. I mean, partly I just, I, I, this is going to sound so creepy to say it this way, but (laughs) I love teenage girls and like, I like have always, like I said, I was writing about teenage girls before when I was like younger than that. Like Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be a teenager And even now, like, I love whether it's YA or whether it's like adult fiction, but that is talking about like the experience of being a teenage girl, you know, something like The Virgin Suicides or Lolita, um, which are my two favorite books. But like, I really just love to explore that experience in fiction, um, whether it's something I'm reading or something I'm writing. And I just really liked the idea of having Lady Macbeth as a teenager and just, and especially because I knew the framing of this story, that it was going to be about like such a powerful female character and group of female characters, actually, that I was like, I just really want, I just feel like there would be something really important about making these be teenage girls who have this much power. So did you always know that you wanted to be an author? Yeah, basically. um, (laughs) I, I've always, I, I guess, the way I usually frame it is I have always wanted to be like, or I have always been like a storyteller. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I was younger, like when I was a little kid, I kind of wanted to be like, I mean, when I'm talking like age four, like where you have no vocabulary Mm -hmm. about and no idea what the world is like, I kind of wanted to be like a choreographer. Um, but like, but same kind of deal where it was like, I wanted to like, Right. And like, cause I love to da- I danced seriously as well and did music seriously. So it was kind of all of the arts, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, so I would kind of go back and forth among like, do I want to compose or do I want to choreograph or do I want to, you know, whatever, but it's always been about stories. And the first time I tried to write a novel was in second grade. So it's pretty, and the first time I finished a novel length manuscript was in sixth grade. So it really has been like, a lifetime dream for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had other dreams as well, but like that has always been like, I knew that I wanted to be a writer and it is really wild to me that I am actually getting to live that experience because like how many people get to be like, I'm what I wanted to be when I was like seven years old, you mm-hmm. know? I know it's so. cool to look at it like that because like right now I'm going through the whole like college acceptance process yeah. and trying to pick it and I've known I've wanted to go into education since I was like really little and now I'm like making yeah. it happen so that's awesome it's so it's so nice to like have a, a sense of purpose mm-hmm. and you know like I feel really lucky that I have had that passion and you know that's that's exciting for you that you also have a sense of direction and purpose so wow what a wild time by the way to be going through all of that with all of this pandemic happening like (laughs) I'm sure like visits are definitely off the table right now I'm lucked out I went on all of my visits in February so 
Okay. Yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. Do you, have you figured out like where you want to go for sure? I've yeah. narrowed it down to a couple of schools, so we're getting there. Okay. But okay, good. Yeah. That's so exciting. That's so exciting. It's stressful. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both exciting, stressful, all of those, all of those things at the same time. Let's see what so. I have. Um, oh, so what was out of both of your books the hardest scene to write? Oh. Okay, this is going to be spoilers. Um, anyway, okay, so I feel like the hardest scene for me to write was probably um, Katie's death in Dead Queens because I didn't want her to die. Mm -hmm. I love her so much. Catherine Howard is the reason, the main reason why. I mean, like I told you about some of the inspiration, whatever yeah. else, but Catherine Howard is the reason I wrote that book. I am passionate about her and I like, I just, I hate that we still have fallen for Henry's propaganda about her mm -hmm. and like that historians today still speak about her in this really like terrible way and, and way that isn't even reflective of reality. And it's like, how are we, how are we like slut shaming a dead 15 year old? Like that's completely ridiculous. Um, so I wrote, I wrote the book because of Catherine Howard and um, I so I really just didn't want her to die. And it made me really, really sad to have to, to kill her off. And, um, but obviously she had to die. Yeah. There was like no way for her not to die. And I also just like her death itself is like, I don't know. I mean, like I obviously I've written a lot of death scenes as you know, at this mm -hmm. point. Um, but like, and even like, and I love Anna from dead Queens also. And she's actually the char character that is like closest to like, who I was in high school, but her death scene was not as hard to write because it happens like in pa in the past tense. And also like, it's so dramatic and ridiculous that I was just like in, I love writing melodrama. I just love mm. just over the top. Like I know no such thing as subtlety, obviously. Um, but Katie's death was so much more like real in some ways. Like there was not, you know, this, there weren't explosions and there wasn't like, drama and glamour and like mm -hmm. whatever you don't see it happen but you know it had like it's just and the context in which it happens that she has just experienced all of this you know emotionally difficult stuff at the bonfire like so that was really hard for me to write um I also just because I felt really bad for all the other characters especially Parker dealing with it originally I was supposed to kill Parker also um but I didn't <laughs> so um, she's like the one person who kind of survives who shouldn't, but anyway, um, so yeah, Katie's death scene definitely was the hardest, um, in terms of Fallows Fair, honestly, like the whole book pretty much just flowed. Mm -hmm. Um, it was like, I guess a couple of the scenes with her parents were difficult to write, um, because like the whole story is so like nonstop action and like violence and, and revenge and she's in her power. But like when there are these few moments when she's like has like when the like flurry of action stops and she kind of has to be confronting things that are going on, like and sort of not confronting her trauma, but mm -hmm. like kind of she has to see it because she's not actively stabbing someone at the moment. Like, so some of those were also difficult to write. Um, but you know, like I felt, I felt good about how they turned out. And I feel like, you know, the, I feel like I got the balance right because I didn't want it to be a book that just like lingers on, lingers on that aspect, because I feel like that's been done in a lot of other books. And that was like, not my mission with, with Fowl's Fair, but I feel like also had I not included just a little bit of that, that it would have not been as it wouldn't have worked as well and the part at the end after um like toward the very end the mm -hmm. out out scene would not have made any sense if we hadn't seen some of that so oh. yeah um so on Dallas Fair and stuff like that what made you pick Lady Macbeth to like turn into this female character she's like my favorite Shakespeare character she's been like one of my favorite literary characters oh, since really? I read the book she's okay awesome but so what made you decide to write a like turn her into a 21st century person yes so she's also my favorite of Shakespeare's heroines or any anybody that Shakespeare's written I just adore her and I always have but I also like I have this simultaneous like love hate for Shakespeare for what he has done because 
on the one hand, he's created this absolutely amazing and powerful character who's, mm-hmm. like, so much more powerful than, like, any of his other characters at all. And you compare Lady Macbeth to Macbeth or to, like, Hamlet or to, like, any of his, like, male, like, heroes. And, like, it's like, dude, there's no contest. But at the other, on the other hand, like, he creates this character and basically then, like, halfway through the play is like, oh, oh well, uh, she served her purpose now by making us feel bad for poor Macbeth. So I guess I'm just going to kill her off. And then she has this total change of character that makes no sense and is, like, not let up. Like, her her sudden, like, oh, I'm going to feel really guilty now. is like, it, may, it really, really just reads like he, A, didn't know how to deal with her. Or B, like, was just, uh, well, she literally only existed in this plot in order to advance. She's, like, some weird, twisted, dark form of a manic pixie dream girl, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, manic pixie, like, nightmare witch or something. Um, Because she's really only there to make us feel like it's not Macbeth's fault in order for him to be tragic so that there's, like, an Eve to blame. Um, So I love, but I still love her and I, like, have my own, you know fan fan you know version in my head where like that doesn't happen and she like faked her death and comes back and whatever Mm -hmm. um so I've always loved her also I feel you on that and I just wanted I've always wanted to kind of do something with the teenage lady Macbeth that would give her some justice and give her her own voice um and so that has been kind of an idea in the back of my head for a while and I also have always wanted to write um, well, always is slightly an exaggeration, but for a long time, I've wanted to write a story that was about revenge after sexual assault and that placed, um, the, the female protagonist in a place of power the entire time where it was not like, oh, I'm like learning to find my voice or like, it's not somebody who like was powerful and then is stripped of her power because she experienced assault, but it's also not somebody who like was turned into a killing machine by it. It's like, this is who she was. Like she was not changed by this thing that happened to her. And then somehow my brain was like, what if I combine these two things? Because, Mm -hmm. and like, it doesn't make any sense in some ways because it's like, obviously the, you know, the play has nothing to do with revenge. And like, I mean, it, except for a couple of lines, but it's not about revenge it's not the revenge play, but who wants to adapt Hamlet? Not me. Um, and it's not about sexual assault. Um, but I was like, well, Lady Macbeth is such a powerful character that if like she is the character in this story, like, like I really just wanted readers to not be able to imagine that this female character was weak in any way because she had experienced sexual assault. And so I was like, what better way to handle this than to take this archetypically like ultra powerful, like embodiment of female power and be like, this is a woman who's experienced sexual assault. She still is this like formidable, terrifying, powerful person. And it has like, there's been no change to who she is. And like, she was not weak in order to have let this happen. I'm hoping that the podcast catches all my air quotes right now. Um, but anyway, like that, that she was not weak to have experienced this or because she experienced this. So that was like part of, that was like the original seed of how I wanted to combine these things. And then I also like, once I started thinking about that, I was like, well, will it work? Because this isn't an element of the play. But then I was like, actually, thematically, you know, like what's most important in in my in my opinion, what's most important in a retelling or a reimagining, which th- this definitely is like reimagining territory, not retelling territory, um, is that there's thematically overlap. It's not like, oh, let's name the characters the same thing. Like every story that happens to have star-crossed lovers is not a Romeo and Juliet retelling as much as they try to get marketed that way. Like it's mm-hmm. just not. And like, you can take plot elements, but that doesn't make it a reason that it's a retelling. So to me, like what is important about it is that thematically there's overlap and Macbeth is about ambition and it's about complicity and guilt and like the idea of like, who is truly culpable. And and that is what Fallow's Fair is about. And it is a lot of, you know, the current conversation that's happening around sexual assault and like people that are complicit, but have ways of trying to be like, oh, well, I'm not because this or that. Like, so to me, it actually made a lot of sense 
thematically. And um, so, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Longest answer ever at the end. <laughs> okay. So, like, halfway through your explanation, you had mentioned that you didn't like how Shakespeare sort of, like, totally changed her personality to the end of the book. Yes. So, like, not one of the questions on my list. But I remember during <laughs> English class when we read the book, um... I was debating at the end of the book when it talked about Lady Macbeth's death, because I'm like, it's not a big spoiler now, Macbeth's been out long enough. Um, (laughs) But, so when it talks about Lady Macbeth's death, and it, um, like, goes into how she died, and it sort of separates, like, the mind and the hands, so Mm -hmm. I sort of had this theory that maybe it was the doctor who didn't know what he was dealing with, and that's how she died, so sort of along with your, like, fantasy how she faked her death. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I I always have imagined because we don't see her die. Mm -hmm. And you know, like the number one rule of like horror movies is like, if you don't see them die, if you don't see the dead body, like they're probably still alive. So I like to believe that she's still out there living. (laughs) (laughs) But I love your theory also. I also support that. I support anything other than her just suddenly deciding out of nowhere that she feels guilty when she's clearly a sociopath and wouldn't feel any guilt. Yeah. So, I mean, she brings up smashing a baby for no reason. No one is even talking about mm-hmm. it. Like, that is not a character who's going to suddenly be like, I feel really guilty, you know? Yeah. Like, sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, but, so uh, continuing <laughs> with um, Foul is Fair. Uh, so all of the male characters in that book sort of come from Shakespeare, but then all of the female characters have names after their husbands. So how did you come up with the names for all the females? That's what that. Uh, so honestly, for Fellows Fair, it was mainly just like the sound of the names. Like sometimes I choose names that have specific meanings and I will get back to the one who does, but like um, for Jenny and Summer and Mads, it was literally just about the sound of the names and names that I, I sort of played around with it. Um, Summer's name was initially Gemma, but then my agent was like, Gemma sounds too much like Jenny. And I was like, good point. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so it was just, and then I like tried, like I, my mom and I were like driving across the country to like visit my grandmother. And I was like trying to come up with other names that like would sound kind of like Gemma, but not sound like Jenny. Mm -hmm. And my mom actually suggested summer. And I went with that, but like for each of them, it was kind of like the vibe of the name. Like, cause Jenny is a character, like she's kind of like, she's really impulsive, but she's also kind of like playful in a way that's the personality. So she suggests. And so like, that was that name. And like Mads is like a really like strong, just like one syllable name. Um, and that just Mads is obviously just like a very strong character who's kind of like the anchor of the group mm-hmm. and um so for her that seemed to fit really well and then summer is like i mean her whole personality is this sort of like you know like black widow like you know but also sort of like california surfer girl so that seemed to fit um for uh piper and lilia um so obviously there's a lot of like animal and plant symbolism and like motifs in fowl's fair and so obviously there's a lot of flower stuff and a lot of bird mm-hmm. stuff and like a piper is a bird and a lily is a flower. So like th- that was kind of where I went with those names. And I also liked the way they sounded. Um, and, but then for Jade, um, so her, her, her real first name as well as her middle name that she goes by during the book, like they both are like intentional choices. Um, so like her initial name that she goes by is L and then she goes by Jade. Mm-hmm. And like, this is like, what me like telling way too much like normally I would just be like the reader can decide what they want to decide but I mean L obviously just means like she in French and like whatever other languages and so it was like she's just like she's every girl in a way and then like Jade also is like you know a, a like it's like old language for like, uh, you know, like a harlot, whatever else. Like basically like there are a lot of different definitions for Jade, but like it, it's, you know, it, it captured what I wanted and it was like what she was embodying as this like temptress who comes in and is like destroying people with her womanly wiles. So with, with Jade, with L slash Jade, also it just sounded good, but yeah. yeah. So with her, there was a lot of reasoning behind it, but a lot of sound stuff too. Right. But yeah. Cool. Um, so jumping track back to the Dead Queens Club, I loved all of the little like future day job ideas like sprinkled into the book. How did you yeah. come up with that? 
Oh, there were so many things like that that were in Dead Queens um, that like the first draft of Dead Queens was like twice as long as the current draft, which is wild. Um, There was so much other stuff in there. Like there was one point at which Cleves like wrote this whole like novel about Katie. Um, But anyway, so um, the future day job stuff was just like, you know, I, I just feel like. I mean, you know, because you are living this world right now as you are in the college application process. But like that whole like junior, senior year part of high school where it's just like you're so tired of people being like SATs. What do you want to be when you grow up? Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And you're like applying for scholarships and like all of that other stuff. It's just it's so much. And like, you know, you were saying and I, I had this fortune as well. Like if you do know what you want, then it's great. But like. I had so many friends in high school who were like wonderfully like smart and talented and driven people, but they didn't know exactly what they wanted to be. And that's like super normal, but like everybody acts like you're supposed to know what you want to be from the age of like seven. And it's like, that's not common. Mm -hmm. And like also a lot of people who do think they know what they want to do, then like go to college and are like, wait, there are all these things I've never even heard of because why would I have heard of them when I was just like attending middle school and going to soccer practice? So I feel like it's really relatable, but like, I feel like it's something I like, I like to see more of in books. And mm-hmm. so I, that was, you know, a big part of Cleves's character. And so sprinkling in the future day jobs was just a fun, like a fun extension of that because that's who Cleves is. And she, you know, has fun with everything. Like mm-hmm. she would have so much commentary about coronavirus right now. <laughs> yeah. So much. Like it's a real shame that we can't be receiving her updates about it because it would be hilarious. Nice long article in the yeah. Lion Ledger. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, which point of view was more fun writing from Jade or Cleves? Oh man, they both really were. And like, they're so different in terms of like, obviously the characters themselves, but also the tone. Mm -hmm. And like, that's something a lot of authors don't get to get away with. So I'm like really lucky. Um, Also, like I switched publishers between the two books. So that kind of like worked too. But like, normally you're kind of supposed to keep about the same type of like voice and tone and they really couldn't be any more different. It also led to some people really not having a good sense of what Fallow's Fair was going to be like because like they had read Dead Queens and especially Mm -hmm. since they both happen to be adaptations, which was really just kind of a coincidence. Um, That's like not all I write. And I don't think I'm probably going to write another one for a while because I don't want to get like boxed into that. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were both really fun in different ways. Like writing Dead Queens Club, like I honestly I was like cracking up half the time that I wrote it I like before I wrote it I would always like drink a frappuccino and I'd be so like sugar high and caffeinated (laughs) and just be like laughing to myself at all of these stupid in jokes that I was putting in the book about like the tutors and so it was really really fun just in the sense of like I had a genuinely good time writing it Mm -hmm. even though at that point I was like it's possible that everyone else in the world is going to think this book is totally ridiculous um Fallow's Fair um, it was simultaneously bet it's still better and worse in the words of Ophelia. Um, so like it was like writing the actual book in some mm-hmm. ways was kind of like really exhausting because it is so dark and intense, both thematically and in terms of voice. And like I tend to really like channel my characters and kind of turn into them a little bit, like as I'm writing. And so like being in Jade's head for a few months was like a pretty dark place to be. And I felt Mm -hmm. like I was just like walking around just like misanthropically. Um, But at the same time, like there were scenes that when I finished writing them, I would just feel like awesome about them. And like, it was, it was a very like, you know, empowering or cathartic or something like there are a lot of words that you could use for it, but like, when all was said and done, Fallow's Fair was even better. But during the process, it was it was not <laughs> great. So I feel like even saying though, like when you wrote um, Dead Queens, how you were like on a sugar high when you wrote it, and that's like yeah. exactly how I pictured Cleves while I was reading the whole yeah. book. So yeah. Exactly. Like she's just like one of those people who you feel like is just like it's like nine PM and she's like drinking Mountain Dew and then decides to go to Starbucks for some reason yeah. except for she probably wouldn't go to Starbucks she'd go to like a local coffee shop but like that's that's clean she'd be like oh yeah let's like put add some sugar to the Kool-Aid for some reason <laughs> you know so yeah so out of both of your books do you have a favorite character who's not the main character is it Katie <laughs> I mean Katie yeah 
But also, I mean, there are just so many of them. Mm -hmm. Like, I really just love all of the girls in Dead Queens. Um, Just, I love every single one of them. And they all have little pieces of, like, I feel like for me, there's always a piece of myself in pretty much every character. Because that's how you make characters feel real. Like, no matter how different they are from you. Um, But I loved Katie. I also really love Parker. Um, she was kind of my, I mean, like Katie, I don't even count as like not the main character since she was who I was writing it for. Um, even though she isn't the main character, but Parker, I really just love, and I love her honesty about being a girl who cares about popularity and things like that, because I feel like so often that type of girl is just portrayed as the villain or shallow or whatever. And I just really wanted to be able to like, give her like, you know, humanity and not have her just be like, oh, she's like this like shallow bitch or whatever. Um, so I love that. And I also, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, she and George are my OTP, like RIP mm-hmm. George. But anyway, um, and then also I really, really love Lilia from Fallow's Fair because um, she's a big contrast to so many of the other girls in the story. And I think that her story, even though Jade's story was a lot more, um, was very you know, thrilling to write. Like, I think in some ways, like Lilia's story, even though it's a lot quieter, is also a very powerful, like, narrative and a lot more realistic in some ways. And um, I just, I really like her a lot as a character. And I think also she does something important for the book in terms of sort of showing that, like, I, I would not want anybody to read that book and be like, oh, if I'm not actively out, like, murdering people, then, like, I somehow am, like, not doing well enough or something and so I think like the fact that she is this character who does seem weak sometimes and passive in the face of the abuse that she's facing like um that she still is a character who has a lot of strength and power and sort of finds that power through the other girls yeah I loved her too like I was thinking at the end of the book I like I don't want to spoil too much so I'll be very vague about it (laughs) I loved how, like, certain events led her to go through this, like, huge, like, character transition. And she started off as a badass, but it was, like, kind of more quiet. And then in the end, it was, like, all this self-confidence that she gained for herself. Yeah, thank you. I I really love that, too. And I will say I need to give so much credit to um, my UK editor because um, she, uh, Lilia originally did not reappear after she initially left Um, she leaves and that was kind of the end of her story that she just like left and, you know, got away in that way. So like that was her victory. But then my UK editor was like, what if we bring her back? Like, what if she, again, spoilers, whatever, like what if she were to make a reappearance? And I loved that idea. My US editor loved that idea. And I can't imagine it now without that. And I think it makes the story so much better. No, I'm glad so. she did. Because I was like reading the book going, oh, no, she's leaving. I liked her. Yeah. And, like waiting for yeah. her to show up again. <laughs> yeah. And then it turned out like the way that I reworked the end, like she it made so much sense for her to be there. And I was like, why did I not think of this in the first place? Like, it works so much better with her being there. And like, you know, the things that happen toward the end, she is pretty key. So, um, let's see. I was like jumping out of order on my question. So, <laughs> no um, worries. Oh, how did you decide on the titles? Oh, okay, that's a good one. So, Dead Queens Club actually was not the first title that I chose for it. Um, for me, sometimes when I have an idea for a story, I don't have any idea what it's going to be called, and other times I have the idea for the title before almost anything else. Um, so it just totally varies on project with dead Queens club. I didn't really have a strong idea for the title and like, even to the point where I finished the manuscript and was sending it to my agent, I still like, didn't, I was calling it six at the time, which is hilarious. Cause now that there's the musical, but the musical was like, I mean, maybe it was like off, off Broadway at that point, but it was like, nobody. I don't know. I like just discovered the musical like three months yeah. ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I, it was, I was calling it six at the time just because, you know, couldn't think of what else to call it. Mm-hmm. And then when we were in the process of like going on submission, um, at that point in time, I had like named each like section of the book, you know, it's like homecoming and then like what end of the road, whatever else. 
And so one of the sections was called the Dead Queens Club. It was like the last one where, right? No, it was the second, the second to last because the last is like Operation Desdemona. Mm-hmm. But um, now I think now it's called Number Six. But anyway, so it was called the Dead Queens Club at that point. And my um, my agent was like, "What if we just change the title of the book to the Dead Queens Club?" And I was like, "That's brilliant." So then we did that. Um, so that was that was fine. That was how that one came to be. Um, but with Fallows Fair, I knew pretty early on that that was what I wanted, wanted the title to be. I knew I wanted it to be a line from the play and I wanted it to be something that was recognizable. Um, and Fallows Fair just seemed really obvious. And also it's like extremely relevant thematically to what the story is about. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was its title the whole time. One of my editors, actually my UK editor again was like, you know, contemplating, we toyed very briefly with possibly changing it to something else, but there was nothing else that really made any sense. And, you know, I was, I mean, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily, you know, gone to war over it if we wanted to change it, but like, we didn't come up with anything else. And I, I really liked the title. So that one just was what it was. So I feel like this one might be like a little kind of stupid, but so looking at the like different headings for the different chapters in both of the books, mm-hmm. the font that you use is very different. Is that like a conscious decision that you put a lot of thought into or did it just sort of happen that way? Um, so I, for, for the sections of the stories, like I, you know, I was, kind of trying to capture the characters themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that was how they turned, you know, so like for, for Cleves, obviously they're these like, you know, long, silly, like headline type of mm-hmm. things like she and her over sugared, over caffeinated state would be doing. And whereas in Fallow's Fair with Jade's voice, they're more like brief and direct. So that was, that was where my mind went with it. I love chapter titles in general. Mm-hmm. So like all of that, you know, happened. And then, you know, in terms of how that ended up looking um, in the final version, that's all stuff that happens like outside of my control. But again, it all like it worked really well with both of them. Like mm-hmm. the treatment of the two books is super different, of course, like from the covers to the the fonts of the little chapters to the way things are broken up. But I feel like they both of my teams did a really awesome job at sort of capturing those completely di- like you would read any random line from either book and you would not think it was from the other book, you know, so yeah um was there one did I already ask this was there one that was more fun to write than the other yes you did okay cool (laughs) um let's jump back to this side then so I think that's all the questions I had like about the books I have like some general writing questions too um did you have a specific like author or book that inspired you to like want to actually publish your books well, let me see. Um, I have so many books that for me were influential, like from when I was a little kid, like even when I was like a young, young kid, there were several like of those like fairy tales or like short stories that you get read as a child. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, what, what, like what? Because a lot of children's stories are so dark. Yeah. Um, and so for me, the ones that, and like, obviously my writing tends to be pretty dark and, and is you know going more and more in that direction um, with my career. But um, there were like, there are like three short stories that I remember being read to as a young child that I see as literary influences still. One is The Velveteen Rabbit, which I feel like everybody has read. Mm-hmm. And because it's so dark and also relevant to coronavirus. Um, but like, it's so dark and like, um, just the drama of it. And then the other, another was um, The Little Match Girl, which is also extremely dark. That one is, I think, I think that's O. Henry. Um, but it's just so dark. And then there's also the steadfast tin soldier, which I think is now like a ballet and not now. <laughs> sort of like 18 something. <laughs> anyway, so all three of those, and like that one is even more melodrama and it's like, you know, paper ballerina like burns in the fire and like whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so those things, like I've always been attracted to that high drama. As a kid, I read a ton of just like the old Nancy Drew books and, um, the American girl books. And then like as a teenager, I really liked Lori Hulse Anderson and, um, I definitely see her as an influence. And I also would say like, 
Um, another big influence for me as a writer has been Courtney Summers. Um, and I read some of her books and was like, wow, like you can do this. Like she is incredible at writing characters who are like the mean girl or the outcast or, you know, the quote unquote slut or the bad girl or whatever. And like centering them. And so reading her books sort of made me realize like what you can do um, as a YA writer that I just didn't necessarily know was possible. So, you know, and now we actually have the same editor, which is wild. Oh, cool. So yeah. Have you read, have you read any of Courtney Summers books? I don't think so. I'll okay. You later. should. Um, Sadie is her most recent one. It came out like a year and a half ago and it's okay. done super well. It like, but I actually like her second to most recent book even better. Um, which is called All the Rage, and it's just, it's really, really, really good, and I would really, it's, it's, you'll see a lot of thematic overlap with Bella's Fair, um, but it, it's very, I, I love it, so she's really talented, and very cool, cool. so. Um, let's see, what else do I have? So I know you kind of already mentioned it, and stuff about, like, killing off the characters, was it hard to do that? For yeah. like, all of them, or were some of them easy? I mean, killing off the boys in Fallow's Fair was a great pleasure. It was mm. really fun, and I really enjoyed Like, I told you, you know, a few minutes ago about how there were a lot of the writing process of Fallow's Fair was pretty um, unpleasant, but, like, but the death scenes were really, really fun to write. Um, these are not even really spoilers, because Jade says what she's going to do on page, like, two. Cool. But, like... <laughs> Duncan's death scene was really, really fun to write, mm -hmm. and I was so looking forward to it. And um, Banks's death scene as well. I really loved that one. I am like a big fan of murders on boats. <laughs> My next book is also going to have expecting for that one, and I really liked how it went because I've been like really into murder on boat stories Thank right you. now. Too. I, I love murder on boats. It's so great. And there, so you're going to love it. My, my third book, what's hopefully going to be my third book. We'll see. It's with my editor right now. We haven't necessarily gotten the green light, but hopefully it also has murder on boats. So look forward to that. Cool. Um, but I loved writing that scene for some reason. And, um, then there was also the one death scene that comes as sort of a surprise, um, where Jade kind of loses her cool mm -hmm. for a minute there. That one was also really, really fun to write. So writing all the death scenes in Fallow's Fair was just very fun. Um, writing, honestly, writing Anna and George's death scene in Dead Queens was pretty fun also because it did have such high drama. Um, Katie's death scene was very sad. Yeah. So, but at the same time, I also enjoy like those, cause you know, when you start writing a book, you have some scenes that you already know are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, like I am not a plotter. I do not plan my books out. Yeah, I mean, like, I know what's going to happen in terms of the general arc, but I'm not, like, an outliner who's, like, scene by scene, this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I do have these pinpoints of, like, these are the main things that are... So, like, in Fowl's Fair, like, every one of those pinpoints is basically a murder. But, like, you know, in Dead Queens, it's like, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, whatever. So, like, a few of the scenes that I did know were sort of the guideposts that were going to be major turning points. Like, you know, Katie's death was obviously one mm -hmm. of them and really changes the direction of the story because it's basically like a lighthearted, you know, high school drama up until that point, And then it changes a little bit. Um, so even though it was really sad to write, it also was exciting because it was a scene that I had been like building toward. Mm -hmm. And so getting to that scene, it's always really fun to write the scenes where you're like, I know this scene is not going to be cut and edited. It's still going to be here. Yeah. So. Now, I'm currently working on like a dystopian kind of story. And okay. I have like one character who I like wrote into it. It was like, okay, I'm going to kill you off at some point. And now that I'm like, you know, 40 pages in, I like her more than my main character and don't want to <laughs> get rid of her. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Mm -hmm. But honestly, like killing a character that you really love is like, that means that other people are going to love that character too. And so mm -hmm. the death is going to be impactful. So, you know. No, I That's tend to cry cool. over books most of the time, yeah. so like, I definitely <laughs> cried over <Yeah>. Dead Queens. <laughs> All right, I think I have, like, two more questions. All right. Okay, so what is the publishing process like? Sorry, the, the Skype, like, the Wi-Fi the wi did something there. Oh, Can you repeat that sorry. question? What is the publishing process like? Well, I would say it's pretty unpredictable and like 
if there's anything you can really describe about the industry in general, it's kind of hurry up and wait. Mm -hmm. Like there are so many things that take so long. And again, going back to that, like Hollywood stereotype of like it being five minutes between when you get a book deal. And then when the book comes out, like, um, like I signed the contract for dead Queens club in summer of 2017 and it came out in January, 2019. So like a year and a half. And Mm -hmm. that's like, very, very normal. It's usually like a year and a half to two years between when you sign and when the book comes out, if you're a debut, um, Fallis Fair is a little shorter because we were trying to like push it, um, because of a lot of relevant headlines that were happening at the time that we sold it. Um, but it's, so it, you're always kind of behind schedule. And so like when dead Queens was coming out and like leading up to coming out and I was supposed to be hyping it and be all about it on social media, I was working on my revisions on Fowler's fair with my editor. So my head was totally in that space. And it's so weird to like come onto Twitter and be like, Oh, well now I'm supposed to be like talking about this other book that I finished like a year ago, all of it and wrote like three years ago. Mm -hmm. And then same thing this year with Fallows Fair, I've been, you know, working on this next book and like, and so it's just, you're always like in this weird time lapse kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, even now, like, you know, Fallows Fair is still, you know, brand new and I'm still doing a lot of, you know, stuff surrounding it, but I'm starting to work on yet another manuscript. And so it's just this always delay, um, and, you know, there's a lot of waiting. I mean, I've been waiting for several weeks for my editor to read this new manuscript. So that's fun. <laughs> um, and just so much of it is about, like, luck and timing, like, truly. Um, and I feel like I can say that now because I feel like I've been on, like, both sides of that. And, like, so with Dead Queens, for example, when we went on submission. So the, the process in terms of absolute basics is you write a book if you want to be traditionally published, which is what you want to be, if you want to be able to walk into Barnes and Noble and see your book there, then you need to get an agent. You send query letters to agents. If somebody likes your manuscript, then they offer to represent you. If you want to work with them, then you sign with them. Then they may do some revisions with you. They go to, um, once you've gotten to a point with the man, with the manuscript that you're both happy about it, like you, your agent goes on submission by taking it to different editors at publishing houses. And if they want it, then they make an offer. And then you go back and forth until eventually there's something everybody's pleased with. And then you sign a publishing contract and then your book comes out in like a year and a half or two years. So that's the basic process. Um, but it like, there's so much of it that is just, is, I mean, like, I know people who queried and, like, the next day got an offer and, like, a week later their book sold. Mm-hmm. And I know other people that have queried for, like, 10 years on, like, multiple different projects, sending hundreds of letters and gone on submission with books and had nobody buy them. And then, you know, whatever else. So, like, um, for me, Dead Queens, um, when we went on submission with it the first time, like, it got into, um, into like second reads with like, which means that like the editor who my agent had sent it to really liked it and wanted to buy it. And so took it to the rest of the editorial team at that imprint. And cause they've got to get everybody else on board. Mm-hmm. Um, but that imprint had very recently bought another like Henry the eighth related book. And they were like, we can't really like marketing wise, like we just can't do another one right now because we are like crowding out our own book. And so even though they otherwise would have bought the book, they were like, thanks, but no thanks and did not buy it. Obviously it found a home elsewhere. But then, um, with Fallows Fair, for example, like we had sent it to my editor for dead Queens. Um, because normally that's, you know, what you do if you've already sold one book, cause you go back to your same editor. She was not into it. It was obviously really different from dead mm-hmm. Queens. And so it didn't really feel like the direction that they kind of wanted to go with me as an author. And so we were kind of sitting on it. I was going to write something else for them. And then like, we were going to go to other publishers with Fallis Fair later. Um, but then because of some things that happened, um, in terms of headlines, we went on sub very quickly and unexpectedly with Fallis Fair. And again, because of all of that, because it was like timely, um, it sold in like 
three days after we went on submission with it. So that's like ridiculously fast. That normally doesn't happen. And like with dead Queens, you're on submission for like six months. So like, again, totally varies. But again, like that just shows you like Fowler's Fair would not have sold in three days if it weren't for what the headlines all were at that moment. And dead Queens would have sold earlier if they hadn't just bought a book that was similar, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so it really is so, so much about, about the timing and the luck and, you know, no matter how hard you work or how talented you are, like (laughs) the industry is not necessarily, you know, it's, it's nothing is guaranteed, which again, like, I just feel so lucky that it's been able to happen to me Mm because, you know, I am not any more talented or any more hardworking than so many other writers out there who don't even have agents yet. So it's, you know, there's just a lot that goes into it. With Dead Queens, too, I feel like, for me at least, the timing of when this book came out was, like, perfect. Because, like, I remember last January, I was just going through so much stuff. I was, like, called my friend, can we just go wander around Barnes & Noble for a couple hours? (laughs) And I, like, don't usually buy books in hardcovers anyways. And I'm like, this sounds so good. And she, like, convinced me to get it. And I read it really fast. So (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I love impulse buys. I will say I have bought so many books in the last, like, two weeks, like, since I've been Mm -hmm. shut in and socially distancing, I'm just like, I bought like 10 books. Like it's ridiculous. I bought so many books and I've been reading so much. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of next to my bed has slowly been getting smaller. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't like a lot of my friends who like have books that are out, right? Like I was fortunate because Fowl's Fair came out right before everything kind of hit the fan in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, but like my friends who have books that are coming out, like in, that came out in March or coming out in April or like really stressed and I'm like dude like do not worry people are buying more books than ever right yeah. now like everyone is like I like this is a great time to be like to be writing books because everybody is reading so much right now mm-hmm. so yeah so I have one more question all right it's going now um so my last question is um do you have any advice for aspiring writers yes um several things I would say, first of all, like keeping in mind that it is a lot about luck and timing. Like, first of all, don't get discouraged. If you want to be a writer, like keep working on what you can control. You can't control what's going to be trendy Mm -hmm. and trying to like jump on a trend and be like, Oh, vampires are popular right now. Or like, Oh, dystopian is popular or mermaids are popular. Like whatever. Like you're going to be behind that. And also like, it's not going to be your passion project. Like what you can control is becoming a better writer and writing the next book. So like if you've written a book and it's not getting an agent or it's not selling on submission or whatever, then just like write the next book and work on your craft to get critique partners, get feedback. If that's the way you roll, like just continue working on becoming a better writer. Don't sit there and focus on like, oh, this happened faster for so-and-so or, Mm -hmm. oh, this like sold for more money from so-and-so. Just like, you know, keep your eyes on your paper and continue doing the things that you can control. And um, I think that becomes even more relevant kind of once you actually are published and are part of all those conversations. But I think it's really relevant when you're just getting started too. It's like, there will always be somebody who like, sells their book when they're 13. You know what Mm. I mean? There will always be somebody who gets a like movie deal, like two seconds in and like, you can't control any of that. Um, and I would also say kind of related to that, write the things that you're passionate about writing. Um, and that doesn't mean that like every weird thing is necessarily going to sell, like obviously within reason, but like Mm. when people start thinking like, Oh, well I could write this cause I want to, but I could write this because like, I think maybe it'll be able to make money or something like First of all, if you're in the career to make money, like you, that you've chosen the wrong field. Um, but the whole joy of writing is being able to write stories that you love and share them with readers who are going to love them. And I would rather reach, you know, it rather than being, you know, some giant, whatever, like on all of the, you know, billboards and like Mm -hmm. huge movie adaptation, whatever. It's like, obviously everybody would love that who wouldn't, but like, I would rather write the book that I am passionate about and reach the readers that 
are also passionate about that, even if it's a smaller audience. And like, I think it also really shows in your writing. If you're writing a passion project versus if you're just writing something because you're like, Oh, the algorithms, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, write the things that you love to write and, you know, and keep working on it. And to me, that's, that's what it takes. Cool. So, yeah. All right. So that's all the questions that I have. Thank you. So that was my interview with Hannah Cappen. It was a ton of fun. You couldn't see it through the podcast, but like watching her on the screen, she was just so excited about everything that she was talking about. And it was like so much fun. Um, But yeah, so bear with me in this one. In the beginning, the noise quality is a little bad, but then it gets like better as I realize that I can turn up the volume on my computer. Um, yeah, technology is not really my uh, strong suit. But anyways, thank you so much for listening. It was a ton of fun talking to Hannah Cavan, and I'm so happy that I could put this in my project, and I hope you enjoyed. Uh, stay tuned for another episode coming probably later this week about some of the more books that I've been reading during this coronation. Uh, Yeah, so I'm Emily and this is What's in Your Book Bag.